Welcome to the MPYA podcast. MPYA is a gathering designed specifically for young adults. In this podcast, you'll hear messages from our gatherings, as well as conversations that we hope will help you navigate these defining years of your life. We hope you'll join us as we explore practical ways we can follow Jesus in our everyday lives. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram, at North Point Young Adults, and subscribe to the podcast if you like what you hear. But with that in mind, let's jump into this week's episode. Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Welcome to North Point Young Adults. You all can go ahead and have a seat. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome, welcome. Hey, Happy New Year. This is our first time back since the, the New Year. I, I, it's kind of weird to say we're two weeks in, but it's the first time I'm seeing you all. So Happy New Year. Um, I hope it's going well. My name is Clay. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the Young Adults pastor here. And man, I'm just so excited to be back. Anybody else excited to be back? It's, it's been a minute. My guy Emmett, always up here, excited. I love it. Well, hey, Yeah, tonight we are jumping into a brand new series called Re-Surrender, which you'll see up there. Um, But basically over the next few weeks, we are going to be talking about what it looks like to re-surrender daily to God or to recommit daily to the things of God. Because slowly but surely over time, we can just begin to drift. We can begin to do different things. And so we're gonna look at how to re-surrender. We're gonna look at why we need to do it. And ultimately we're gonna look at the beauty and wonder that comes through it when we do Uh, re-surrender. But admittedly, this can be a challenge a lot of times because when we're in the world, we are very influenced by things and people. Uh, The way that I see this pop up in my life a lot of times is this thing called a targeted ad. Y'all know what a targeted ad is? Basically, it's it's just an ad these days. I don't really need to put targeted in front of it. Every ad you see is probably targeted at you, your demographic, the things you've liked, the things that you're following, the people, um, the things that you've clicked on on the internet. I think personally it's listening to us, um, but that may be a conspiracy. It's just listening to me talk right now and I'm gonna have um, something pop up later, uh, a a weird ad. Uh, But it's happened to me recently. I was scrolling on Instagram, just kind of looking at photos, looking at different videos, you know, as one does. And so I'm looking through and all of a sudden I'm looking at a photo that I didn't recognize anyone in. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I see what's happening here. This is an ad. It's got the little learn more uh, box at the bottom. And I realized pretty quickly that the ad is for a water bottle. And in my head, I'm thinking, am I really the target audience for like a water bottle right now? Like, is that me? Like, is that who I am? They're trying to sell me a water bottle. Like, and it's one of those classic ones. It's like the aluminum. It's got uh, like the insulation. You can put cold drinks, hot drinks in it. And I'm looking at it. And I mean, sure. Yeah. It's got a cool latch. Like it's got a little flip thing on top. It's got some cool colors, but in my head, I'm thinking I have a million of these water bottles in a cabinet, like behind me right now. I don't need another water bottle. And so I'm thinking about it and I'm like, this isn't going to get me. Not this time, Instagram, ha ha, not going to target me like that. So a couple days go by, my wife uh, walks in the door and I see her coming in and in her hand is a water bottle that I've never seen before. And sure, it's cool, but I'm like, there's no way you spent money on that. I'm like, there's no way you actually bought one of those. Like I just got targeted by that ad the other day and she did. It's actually called an Awala. Y'all heard of an Awala? 
So she has an Owala, and I'm like, are we really out on Stanley that fast? Like, I thought we were just getting on the Stanley train. Like, I finally have a Stanley cup. It fits in my, uh, my cup holder so easily. It's amazing. I love a Stanley. But now apparently we're on the Owala train. But I'm like, no, still, you can infiltrate my family, but I'm still not going to buy this Owala water bottle. I'm saving money, and we have a budget. Like, I don't need it. So I leave, go to work a couple days later, come home, only to see this. <clears throat> That is my daughter, my one-year-old daughter, Haven, holding a baby-sized Owala water bottle. And I look at my wife, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, now we have two of these things? We're going to have to get rid of some other uh, water bottles in order to store all of this. But at this point, I, I start to feel the pressure. And in that moment, I'm like, okay, I either have to like, take both of their water bottles and throw them away, or I have to buy one of these. I feel like I was the odd man out. I was left out. I'm not going to let this happen. I'm supposed to be the head of the fit, like the household. So I'm like, okay, I got to figure something out. And slowly but surely, I hop on Amazon. I search Owala. I pick a cool color. And then I hit them with that same day shipping. I didn't even do the two day. I paid a little extra for the same day shipping. And now that thing is at my house. And honestly, I love it. I couldn't recommend it enough. And now I'm kind of influencing you all to go and buy an Awala. No, this man's out. Okay. Yeah. So, but this is, again, I I surrendered to influence once again. Once again, this power of influence kind of got the best of me. And I ended up buying something that I definitely didn't need, but I just kind of wanted in the moment. And this is all too common. As much as I hate to admit it, with the right people, the right branding, and the right product placement, I can be easily swayed into buying pretty much whatever they want me to buy. Uh, And there's actually a science as to why this is the case. The science is called the psychology of influence. Basically, what the psychology of influence tells us is that if they put the right people near us at the right time, then they can actually dictate a lot of our decisions. That if they have the right person in front of you, if uh, you're following the right person and they're using the right products, that it has enough power to actually influence the decisions that you make on a daily basis. And oftentimes what's interesting about the psychology of influence is that we don't even realize it's happening in the moment. That a lot of times we are being influenced and we aren't even aware of it. We just click the button and buy it. We're like, oh no, that's just something I want. Like if you had asked me 10 minutes ago, I would say I would want that thing. But no, what's happening is this influence that marketers have figured out to a T. Like they are using it against us to get us to buy whatever they want us to buy. It was actually a full-time job now uh, called an influencer. And people strive to be influencers. You can make 100,000 doing this job basically. But your whole thing is just, I'm trying to get people to buy the product. They've got it worked out. What's interesting is it's almost like this, again, like this invisible power. We don't even realize it's happening. Um, People are led to believe they're making their own decisions based on their own judgment, but really they just think they are. Ultimately, they're actually being influenced by uh, the social media, by websites, uh, and by the people around them. More often based on a suggestion by a credible expert or a friend. According to one survey, it said 82% of people will most likely follow the recommendations from a micro-influencer. And a micro-influencer is just someone with between 1,000 and 100,000 followers. And honestly, I read that and I'm like, that's not that much. Most of my friends, I would say, have over 1,000 followers, right? Like, I feel like that is pretty normal. But we are 
basically, this is saying that we are making decisions based on just seeing one of these micro-influencers using something, and, and we're ready to go and make the purchase. And some of you, as I'm saying that, immediately start pushing back. Like I said, you're like, no, I never fall for the ads. They don't get me like that. Like, I am my own person. I am original. I, I don't fall for any of that. I'm not going to go buy something just because I saw it pop up on my Instagram feed. I never hit that. But the psychology of influence would argue that, no, you just think you are in control. That in reality, you're actually being influenced by so many different things. You're making decisions based on what's in front of you, who you're around, what you look at, and ultimately who you follow. I want you to think for a second about the last uh, thing that you bought. Think about, I mean, Christmas, we just probably bought a ton of stuff. Maybe you bought some gifts for friends, uh, for family. How did you come up with the idea. Surely there was some sort of influence going on. I, I, I can't even think about how many times that I would be scrolling and come across an ad that's hitting me. And I'm like, that would be perfect for my guy, Garrett. Like that would be perfect for my brother. Like it's happening over and over again, but like, all the time, we don't even realize it's happening in the moment. But when we look back, it's like, oh man, I'm getting targeted over and over again. We're being influenced all the time. But what's interesting about this is it's not just with buying products. It's, we're not just being influenced with uh, the things that they want us to purchase. It's also uh, being influenced in our thoughts and our behavior and our beliefs. That the psychology of influence actually works across the board. It's not just for marketers. It's also just life in general. It's people that we're around. It's people that we follow, like people that we admire, people that we want to be like, people that we... Uh, just trust, like friends and people that we look to from afar as like a leader, as someone we want to be like. When these people begin to share something, when these people give us their opinion, uh, whether it be on politics or religion or whatever that looks like, when they start to tell us a little bit more about what they think, all of a sudden, if that's differing from what we believe or what we think, we start to question ourselves. Without even realizing it, a lot of times we begin to get influenced by the people that we follow, by the people that we admire. And slowly but surely, we begin to believe like they believe. We begin to act like they act, do what they do, and think like they think. It includes our thoughts, our beliefs, and behavior towards God, towards the church, and towards our spiritual life. Basically, with the right people in the right place we admire, we want to be like, uh, we hang out and we all do the same thing, we can slowly but surely fall into their patterns and their same beliefs, even if they're technically wrong. We have a lot of trust, a lot of faith in a micro-influencer. Uh, again, going back to the statistic, 85% will choose that based on who the person is. But again, this is nothing new. Sure, social media has made it easier, uh, but for centuries, influential people have been making an impact on the church. They've been making an impact on people's lives. We've seen different theologies come in and out of style. We've seen different people uh, changing up the church. We've seen different denominations start to enter in. We've seen different theologies and ways of thinking start to uh, creep into the church without us technically even realizing it because it's just some people who are beginning to step in, who are beginning to influence other people. And so when this begins to happen, false teaching begins to spread. And so tonight, this is where we kind of pick up uh, in the story or in this letter with Jude. It's this letter at the back of the Bible. It's right before Revelation. You can turn to it with me if you want, would like to. 
But basically Jude, where we're gonna pick up, he's gonna talk about this very thing. He's gonna talk about how in his day and age, there were influencers kind of coming into the church, impacting the faithful believers in a group. And he's going to tell them, hey, this is what you need to do in order to combat these things. And Jude himself is a faithful follower. He's trusted in Jesus. He's following Jesus. And he's actually considered a half-brother of Jesus. People, most people think that that is the case, that he was actually related to Jesus, much like James was. And so Jude is going to begin talking to us about what is going on uh, with this group of people. He's going to write to encourage them uh, towards godliness in a group that is moving towards ungodliness. So let's read it. Jude, it's a pretty small letter. There's not even a chapter and then a verse. We're just straight into verses. So it's Jude 17 to 21. It says this, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So immediately we, we start to kind of get this picture of what these influencers look like, of who these influencers kind of are. And Jude here tells us that they are scoffers or mockers. And, and maybe scoffer isn't necessarily a word we use very much today. And, but it basically just means they're mocking somebody, people who mock God and his call to live a holy life. These people have come into the church and are beginning to mock the ways that God is asking his people to live. And, and what I want to point out from the very get-go is that if, as you read the beginning of the chapter, it's people who are already within the church. Like it's not people who are kind of outside doing their own thing, living a completely different life. But no, Jude is actually warning us about people who have come into the church. They're a part of us. They're like us. They're a body of believers. And, and so he's telling them, hey, these people are in there, but they are mocking the faith. They're not truly living it out. And so what he's trying to get us to see is, hey, uh, it, it's so easy in our context even. Like I think about atheists or people who are so anti-religion, they'll never step foot in here. And so what Jude is trying to tell us is that like in our context, there are those people. And for me, and maybe for you, you're not following them. You're not being influenced by them. You're, you're not thinking, hey, I'm going to go be like them. And so when they say stuff, when they're uh, saying that all of this is fake, none of it is real, when they maybe question uh, seven-day creation, or they're talking about how Jonah could have never been a real thing, or is there really a global flood? And we're talking about all of these science things. It's like, man, I can kind of write them off because I know what I believe. I know what is true. And they're believing something completely different. But what's interesting about this, again, is that these people have entered into the church. They're not spouting off these crazy things. That's not what Jude wants us to see. It's actually people that look a lot like us and look a lot like them. And it can be hard to differentiate between the two. And so what I think Jude is trying to get us to see is, hey, these are people that are potentially, um, they, they say that they have a legitimate love for God and, and they legitimately are trying to pursue their faith who are inside the church but who mock them, mock him with their behavior. That ultimately they say they love God. They come here and worship. They love being in the building. They love being around people. They love the faith community. But ultimately when they leave all of that, they live a completely different way. 
And so what Jude is telling us here is that when people do that, when someone does that, you are mocking God with your behavior. People who are willingly ignoring his requirements to be holy as he is holy, and they're treating lightly his threat of judgment for such behavior. So again, to bring that into our context, it's a lot more damaging uh, when it's someone that we wouldn't expect it to be, or when it's our friends and the micro-influencers around us that are saying they love God, that they're coming to church on Sundays, but then they're getting drunk the night before. Or it's the, the people that are saying, hey, I love Jesus, I look to him, but then on the weekends, I still struggle with looking at pornography or anything like that. It's like, man, we've got these things. We're, we're trying to be good people. We, we love being in the community, but at the end of the day, uh, we're still kind of going outside, living our own way and living a sinful life. He's saying that ultimately that is mocking God. Jude is warning us that people who consistently pursue a lifestyle marked by sin are in effect mocking God. He's saying that this is in effect more damaging to the faith of the people here, the faith of the people around them than anyone who's persecuting or uh, talking about how this, none of this is real. Like those are completely separate. We can keep them apart. Jude is trying to warn us of the people in our midst and how that can influence us in a negative way without us even realizing it. Because again, it's this invisible power that's happening. And if we're not careful, we just see people who are like us and they're like, oh, they can do that. Well, I guess I can too. Like they're a Christian and they're doing that. Well, then I guess I can do that too. And slowly but surely we get influenced by these people. And then we're starting to live a completely different faith. We're starting to forget about what we originally believed. So as Jude is talking, he's trying to figure out, okay, I'm going to, at one point in the letter, he starts with, hey, I wanted to write to you to talk about grace and salvation, but ultimately I needed to write to you to contend for the faith because this was getting so rampant, so ugly, so bad that he was like, I have to talk to them about what is going on. And so what he does as we move through the letter is he gives us these four things that we are to do. He gives us these four commands, these four action steps that we can take away, four practical things that we can do right now in order to combat this that comes into our context. It's not just them, it's also us and how we can begin to pursue and secure our own faith in the midst of what's going on around us and ensure that we aren't being influenced by bad influences, but that we are potentially putting ourselves in a place to be influenced by the better people. And so, You can write these down, four things, starting with number one, he says, build. Yeah, verse 20, he says, but you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now, I think we all know what it means to build something or to construct, like we go and build a house or we see skyscrapers being built. I think we have an idea of what that means. For me, a lot of times I think about Legos or like building blocks. When I was a kid, I used to love building with Legos. And I think this has kind of come back into my life because now with a young daughter, I have uh, the ability to play with toys again, and it's not weird. So that's kind of cool. But we, I love Legos and I, I'm like, man, we need to get her into these. It's going to be fun. And so we got her these big building blocks because clearly I don't want her to choke. Legos are tiny little toys. And so I got these building blocks and I'm playing with her, but I'm going to be honest, y'all, like Haven, that's my daughter. She is kind of like a tornado, like kind of wild, crazy. Like she will knock stuff over. She's gotten to where she's walking and uh, she really loves to just tear things apart, push things over, basically destroy it. Like she's like the Hulk walking around. And so I'm trying to play building blocks with her and I'm like, man, I start to get anywhere and she just pushes it down. 
Like I start to do anything and she just starts pulling it apart. And so I start to realize, okay, I'm about to build like a wide base. Like I'm about to get a solid foundation and see if she can knock this thing over. And so I start building this thing. I'm making it wide and I'm putting them all together, fortifying. Like it's like a fortress at this point, like a castle. So I'm building this base and I start trying to build it up and I realize, yeah, like she can come and kind of push it and touch it and she can knock it over. But what I realized is that she can only, only a few of the top pieces kind of break off, but that ultimately the foundation remains intact. The foundation remains the same. And I think that's what Jude is trying to get us to realize here is that the foundation must be secure in order to build. That before we start building, before we start going out into the world, before we start living our lives, we've got to make sure the foundation of our lives is secure. And when he's talking about the foundation, what he's referring to is back in verse three, he says, he commands us to build on our most holy faith, which means the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. So Jude here, as he's telling us about this faith that we're supposed to build on, he's talking about the OG faith. Like he's talking about the original one that the apostles have begun to pass down from generation to generation that are now uh, speaking through even Jude. And now for what, what it is for us today is the scriptures. It's God's word that we've got to firm up this foundation and then the rest of our lives can begin to filter through that. That once we've got this foundation right, once we understand the scriptures and let it influence our life, once we let this word influence the way that we think and believe, then we go out into the world and we can kind of get rocked a little bit. We can get knocked around, like people can doubt and we can start to wonder and question what's going on. But ultimately we have this strong foundation to run everything through. So that when we begin to feel anxious or worried or things start to feel attacked even by some people, we're like, okay, I can go back to this foundation. And when I'm making decisions, when I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life, when I'm trying to figure out how to live, like, well, should I get married, do all of these things? We can run it through the foundation. This is everything we need in order to live a long, healthy life. It starts with the foundation and then we begin to build our lives off of that. So what we do is we begin to look at the ancient paths, keeping the focus on the scriptures, the word of God, and not adding or subtracting from it. In the church today, there's this increasing flirtation with what is new, what is fresh, what is cool. We want to keep things relevant. And what often tends to happen is we start to develop, again, we start to be influenced by uh, the world. We start to pick up like a YouTube Christianity or like a TikTok theology. And without even realizing it, just by, based on the things that we're watching, based on the people we're around, based on what we're trying to do with our lives and the time we spend on our phones, we're starting to rewire our brains and be influenced and think the way that other people think. But in our legitimate eagerness to push ahead, to stretch our understanding, to make the church relevant to a new age, we must always be careful that what we're looking at aligns with God's word. That if we start here, if we build the foundation, we understand uh, what, how, how we can combat whatever is going on in the world. And we begin to filter out the lies with the truth. Therefore, we must always test what we're beginning to believe against the scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that the scriptures are for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Or I, I think it's also saying, or building a holy life, building a surrendered life to the things that matter and not the things that people want us to do or want us 
to buy. And so ultimately what we need to do is read the book. I think that's what Jude is telling us here is we've got to study it. We've got to memorize it. We've got to know it. And so it's daily in the word. It's our daily bread so that his word is the holy foundation. It's influencing us without realizing it uh, far more than anything in the world. And what's cool about this too is I think we assist each other in this, that as we're building, we build it together. That's what the church is. It's a bunch of people coming together and building up Christ's body. And so we hold fast to the truth of Christ and in maintaining a lifestyle that reflects that truth. Okay, that's number one, build. Number two is pray. Verse 20 continues on and says, and praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes you hear, or maybe you read that, you think, and, and it's like, oh, that's kind of like a fancy prayer. Like, I don't know if I can pray in the Holy Spirit. I know about prayer, but I don't know about all that. But what I want you to know up front is he's literally just talking about prayer. He's not saying it's anything different than what you're used to. He just wants, honestly, he just wants people to pray. And what's interesting is that faith and prayer, that these two kind of go hand in hand, that faith and prayer are interconnected that I kind of see them on an X and Y axis. So as our faith goes, so goes our prayer life. So if we have a strong faith, our prayer is probably pretty strong. But if we have, a, and if we have a strong prayer life, our faith is probably growing. But vice versa, if we're not praying a lot, our faith is probably trending down. And as we're not praying, as we begin to not, or kind of sidestep it, take that off the to-do list, slowly but surely, we start to stop depending on God. Ultimately, what happens when we stop praying is we start being more dependent upon ourselves. Then when we kind of sidestep that, get rid of that, we start embracing the influence of the culture that says, hey, I don't need to pray. I don't need God to get ahead. I don't need God to get to where I wanna go. Ultimately, I just need to be more productive. That ultimately, I just need a little more ambition. I just need more drive. Like I need to work harder. That's what culture is out there saying. You just need to step over people, climb the ladder, get to where you wanna go. And slowly but surely, as we kind of stop praying, or maybe we've never even prayed, those are the influences that we're receiving. Those are the things that are beginning to shape our lives and we're buying into those things. We start to believe that prayer ultimately will only slow us down, that I could go do a lot of other things rather than get on my knees and ask God to come through for me right now or help me get to where I want to go. It feels like a better use of my time is ultimately just to actually go work. And so we devalue prayer and ultimately we see our faith begin to go downhill at the same time. This happens even in the church. Tyler Statton says this in his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. He says this, the modern church's best kept secret is this. We believe in productivity, not prayer. The church's underground atheism in our time is that we will busy ourselves with almost anything except prayer. Even people in the church, what he's saying is that people, even in the church fall into this trap, that we can all do this, make all this happen in our own power. Like all we need is a great speaker. We need good worship, a good band. We need a great building and we need some good systems. And we can kind of make all of this happen without God. It ultimately becomes a sort of atheism inside the church because we're just embracing the influence and beginning to figure out how we can do this on our own. But Jude jumps in and he's like, no, don't live this way. Don't let this influence impact the way that you are participating in the church, in the way that you are following Christ. 
He's saying, if we do not continue to pray, if we do not continue to seek God and let him influence us, if we don't commune with him, listen to him, talk to him, then ultimately uh, we're gonna be more influenced by culture than by God himself. The bottom line is who you spend time with is who you will be influenced by. We know this is true and it's true with God as well, just as much with anybody. We know growing up that we would be influenced by our friends, we would feel peer pressure, all of that. But ultimately, if we spend time in prayer, if we connect with God, we talk to him and listen to him just like a friend, ultimately he begins to influence the way we think. He shapes our thoughts and it changes the way we go about our lives. We must make God our number one influencer. I think we all wanna be on God's close friend's story. Like that is how close we wanna be with him. Just by taking the time to stop, to pause, to pray, we immediately begin to buck culture, the trend of culture. And we start to fight back this influence of productivity that makes its way into our churches so often. When we do this, we stake a flag in the ground and we say that my allegiance is to God and I am in this fight against the influence of the world. In fact, there's another great quote. His name's Philip Henry. He says this, apostasy or false teaching or kind of what we're talking about, these negative influences, people who are leaving the faith, kind of Uh, mocking God, he says, apostasy generally begins at the closet door. Be much in secret fellowship with God. It is a secret trading that enriches the Christian. Let prayer be the key of the morning and the bolt at night. The best way to fight against sin is to fight it on our knees. The best way to remain faithful is to fight it on our knees. The best way to follow God and be able to discern what's really going on in the world, to really begin to understand what is happening is to fight it on our knees, to fight against the power of influence, to ensure you are living a holy life is always through prayer. And what I love about this, what's interesting to me is that influence, like we talked about, is this silent force, this silent killer, this silent power that's after us. And it's shaping our hearts and our minds and our thought lives. But what's interesting is prayer is, kind of the same thing. It's this invisible force, this kind of quiet thing that not many people know about that or not many people do and not many people realize the impact of what their prayers are doing. But ultimately that prayer is shaping us. It's fighting back. It's shaping our hearts, our minds, and we're being influenced by God rather than the world. We like to devalue, or a lot of times we do devalue prayer and the impact it has on us. But ultimately what we're learning here is that, man, this is the most important thing that we could do. It's the most important thing that we could spend our time doing in this life. It's how we commune with God. So fight the invisible with the invisible. That is number two. Jude says we've got to pray. And I did want to mention, this is why to start off the year, we're about to do 21 days of prayer. Starting tomorrow, we're going to come together and fight together and link arms and pray for the same things for 21 days and see what God can do and call on a move of God and just call on the Lord and just see. Maybe he'll do something that we ask him to do and we start slowly but surely to believe in the power of prayer once again. I believe it would change our lives. So I hope you'll sign up for that and do that with us. I can't think of a better way to start off the year. Number, that's number two, pray. Now let's move on to number three. It says, keep So verse 21, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. So that's kind of vague. It's like, okay, how do I know how to keep myself in somebody's love? It's like kind of a weird way to say it. Another word for keep is actually remain or 
abide. And when we think about those words, we start to think about John. So John 15, nine says this, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. And he uses the same, a similar word here. Now reign in my love or keep yourself in my love. Now, when we hear that, you may immediately start to question or it begs the question, doesn't, isn't God's love for me unconditional? Like, can't I kind of do whatever I want and he'll still love me anyways? Like, I'll remain in it. He'll keep me in it. Like, it's not necessarily on me. And the answer to that question is, yes, Christ loves us unconditionally. God loves us unconditionally. But there's also this tension here that we've got to kind of play with and got to figure out because in the text, a lot of times we see there is some responsibility on our end. This is kind of a two-way relationship. And yes, he will forgive you. Yes, he has the utmost grace. But ultimately, we have a part to play in this as well, that we have some responsibility. And so what is that? How do we keep ourselves in his love. Well, the next verse in John 15 goes on to 10. And it says this, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. So what John's saying here is that how do we keep ourselves in love? Well, it's through obedience. It's through obeying his word. It's through obeying what he says. Like when God asks us to do something, we do it. And as that happens, we grow closer to him and we remain in him. And so it's so easy to get sidetracked and think like, hey, I can be one way in here, go live another way, but ultimately there's grace for that. That's what Jude is kind of talking about here. That is a perversion of grace. It is kind of abusing uh, this kindness that God has shown to you. And so that's not how we love someone. That's not how we keep somebody in our love or remain in Love. I, I try to bring that into our context again, like in my life today. And I think about a relationship that I love. I think about the person that I love the most and it's my wife. And if my wife, Allie, asks me to do something or she asks if I will take out the trash or do the dishes, I hate doing the dishes. And so I don't wanna do that. And so she keeps asking me and I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do it. No, I don't want to. I'm gonna go do something else. I'm gonna play video games, whatever. Search Instagram she's gonna start getting frustrated. That's going to begin to impact our relationship. There's gonna be some growing resentment there. Like I, I have to do what she asks me. I have to do what she says. And ultimately I should want to out of love for her. That if that love is spurring me forward, then I'm gonna to want to do what she's asking me to do. And it's similar to our relationship with God. We should want to obey him. And if we're not, maybe we should begin to question what, is that inside of us that's making us not want to remain in his love. Ultimately, obedience acts as proof to your love for God. Obedience is an act that proves your love for God. So when people see you, when people are watching the way that you live your life, when you are obeying God, you, you start to see, okay, you see the true love that they have for the heavenly father but it's also kind of a proof the other way that when you look at people in here that you're like, man, they seem awesome. They seem like they love coming to church. They love what's going on here. They're worshiping, they're praying maybe even, but when they go out there, they're living a completely different way. We start to see that and we're like, man, that's kind of proof that they're not necessarily following God, that they're not remaining in that love and maybe they aren't truly a follower. So what Jude's trying to say is that this is kind of going back to the scoffer and mocker 
thing. We're again, back to them where it's, we're trying to differentiate between the people and Judas telling his people, hey, this can actually be kind of a test. You can kind of begin to see, hey, these people, you, sh- you should be able to clearly see that they are scoffing or mocking and that you can see the influence that they're having on the community. So this obedience is kind of a test, but it's also a test of in your own life, like looking inwardly, like, is this, uh, am I following God? Am I remaining in his love? And what's crazy, again, about this with the scoffer and the mocker is this can be so damaging to the church. And if we truly love it here, if we love the people, the community, then we're gonna want to remain in his love and keep it the way that it is. Because as we see so-and-so not obeying, but still calling themselves a Christian and showing up to the church, it begins to influence people negatively. And again, without us even knowing it a lot of times. Judah's telling us that we must seek to keep ourselves in the love of God by being obedient. But we are responsible to take advantage of what God offers us as we resist these forces. He does want to help us. He does love us and he's going to help us in that. But we do share some responsibility in that. So that's the third one. Now we're moving on to the fourth one, which is wait. So we finish this verse and he says this, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So this last command points us to the future. And it kind of seems like a weird thing to toss in to tell us to wait because when I think about waiting, that's a very passive action. Like it doesn't feel like that's something that uh, I want to do particularly. And it's not something that I feel like I, it, I do like on purpose. I feel like I'm constantly having to wait against my will. If I'm really honest, waiting is very annoying. If the line is too long, I'm avoiding that line. I'm going to a different line. If I take a job or I take a job I wouldn't have because uh, I got tired of waiting for the one that I really wanted. Maybe I stay in a relationship too long because I get tired of waiting. It's why I do the same day shipping on Amazon because I don't want to wait. Being told to wait in this day and age is not what I want to hear. And yet Jude here gives us this as one of the commands. But I think what he's saying is it's not a passive waiting. What he wants us to see is that this is actually a eager and expectant or a patient expectation. That it's something that uh, you look to and are so confident it's going to happen, that you're waiting for it to come. And because you're waiting for it to come, you're changing the way that you live now. It's not waiting for something we aren't sure will ever come. It's something that we are expecting to come one day. And what this made me think of is, I don't know if you've got, you guys have seen this video uh, where the kids have a marshmallow in front of them. It's like a marshmallow test. And they have a plate in front of them. Some adults bring a marshmallow in. They stick it on the plate. And then they, before leaving the room, they say, hey, you can have this marshmallow right now. Or if you wait, I'm gonna bring you a whole bag, basically. And so the adult leaves the room The kids are just sitting there and they are freaking out. Like they want that marshmallow right in front of them so bad. I thought about playing the video for you. They're freaking out. But in the back of their minds, it's so funny and cute as a kid too. They're like freaking out. But in the back of their minds, they're like, I'm going to get two. or I'm going to get a whole bag of marshmallows if I just wait a little bit longer. And so they have this eager expectation that if I wait, something is going to happen. They are confident that that thing is going to happen. And so in the waiting, they are able to say no so that they can say yes to this bigger thing later. 
And that's a little bit about, a little bit like what Jude is trying to get us to see, I think, is that he wants us to wait with expectation, with confident expectation that the Lord is coming back, that he has, he's going to be merciful to us because it's going to impact the way that we live right now. That when we see what he's doing, when we see, uh, when we're trying to be influenced, when people are trying to get us to do things that we know we shouldn't do, when we start to get enticed to, to partake in things that are right in front of us, that ultimately we have this patient expectation that God is coming back. And so we can wait on that and say no to whatever is right in front of us right now. Jude is reminding us that we are in this fight against the flesh on earth, this temptation to surrender to the things in front of us that I can have here and now, but we must learn to wait on what is going to be so much better in the long run. We want the second marshmallow. Like we want for the the greater thing that's coming. We want ultimately, I'm kidding about the marshmallow. We want eternal life to enjoy never ending life in God's own presence. That is far better, so much better than anything that we can experience on this earth. So we contend for the faith by waiting expectantly on what is to come. That's what will give us the willpower to fight against whatever is being offered today, whatever is being put right in front of us right now, what people are trying to influence me to do. Because whatever this life is promising you right now is so much less than what the kingdom is going to offer you later. And so we believe in that with confident expectation and we wait. So those are our four things tonight that Jude tells us to do. He says, build. He says, pray. He says, keep. And then he says, wait. But the truth is that in the waiting, it's very easy to fall away. It's very easy to get it wrong. We're imperfect beings. Like we're not always going to get it right. And we let people who shouldn't have sway over us kind of lead us in different directions. We get influenced by the people around us. Sometimes we buy those things that we probably don't really need, that we probably shouldn't have bought. But ultimately, we do have a choice to resurrender. That ultimately, we do have a choice to wake up the next day, to get back at it and resurrender our life to God, to recommit to following Him. And Jude provides us the way. He gives us four things that we can do confidently right now. We can build, we can wait, we can keep, and we can pray. So as we enter into this new year, I just want to encourage you with that. We're going to keep talking about this over the next few weeks. Like what can we do now to resurrender to him, to ultimately live a life that is glorifying to him? And yes, again, we're going to get it wrong. It's not always going to be easy. But man, what God is looking for is people who will keep at it, that will keep getting after it, that will re- surrender. You may have said you've surrendered the one time, but ultimately he wants you to keep doing it. Just because you make one mistake doesn't mean it's all over. Ultimately he wants your life and he knows that we're not going to get it right. But if you are trying, if you are not just living completely opposite of what he wants for you and opposing his will for your life, then ultimately, man, he loves you and you are showing your love for him by re-surrendering over and over again. And so that's what we want you to do. And maybe you hear these four, you wrote them down, and, but four feels overwhelming. I just want to encourage you that, hey, tonight you can pick one. Pick one of these things that, hey, going into 2024, this is what I'm going to focus on. This is how I'm going to resurrender this year. I know for me, I got into this year and I'm like, man, I am going to pray every single day. I'm going to pray in the morning and I'm going to pray with my wife at night. Like, that's what I want it to be. I want this ministry. I want everything that we do to be fueled by prayer. I want to be influenced by him more than anything else. And so maybe for you, it's prayer. 
Maybe it's keeping, maybe it's waiting. It's like, man, uh, instead of getting on Twitter all day, I'm, or now it's X, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna look to God. I'm gonna read the word. I'm gonna get filled up. What is that thing for you that you can take away from tonight and say, hey, this is how I'm gonna re-surrender. And I'm so excited to give my life again to God over and over again, because I wanna walk with him. I wanna follow him. And I want the life that he has for me. So tonight, can we all say we're gonna re-surrender and use, do one of these things that Jude gives us. It's gonna give us clarity. It's gonna help us see the world the way he wants us to see it. And ultimately we can move forward um, in our relationship with him. I'd love to pray for us and we're gonna sing together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for a room to gather in to uh, learn more about your word. Uh, to learn what you've given us, to hear from you, to listen, to take a moment to just breathe and uh, try to listen for what you have for us, God. It's so easy to move through our lives and uh, miss what's going on in the spiritual realm, miss what's going on in the invisible world. But ultimately, when we put our focus on you, when we uh, bring to light our eyes back to you, we begin to hear from you. We begin to see you. We begin to see the world differently. We begin to see the things that we may not have seen before, the influences that are invisible, that are uh, changing the way that we're behaving and leading us somewhere where we didn't intend to go. God, I pray as we leave this room, you would make those, make us very aware of what's going on. God, I pray that your spirit would move in us, open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. And God, I pray that we would ultimately re-surrender and recommit to following you with everything that we have that that would become the number one priority of our lives, just giving our life to you because we wait in confident expectation that you are coming back and that we are spending eternity with you. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the NPYA podcast. To learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at North Point Young Adults or head to our website, northpoint.org slash youngadults. And if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss one. See y'all next time.